Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today for episode number 29, I'm talking with Kurt Elster, co-founder of the Chicago-based digital agency EtherCycle. Kurt started out like many of you, running a small agency building websites for businesses of all different kinds and on all different platforms. He was paying the bills, but he wasn't really making enough to justify all the stress that came from working on all of these different clients. Today, Kurt has more than 8x'd his revenue and is working fewer hours with almost none of the headaches, and he got here by doing two simple things. Narrowing his focus, so today he only works with clients on the Shopify platform, and simplifying his service offerings. The prices and deliverables are all listed up front. Now, this is a short episode, clocking in a little over 30 minutes, but we jammed a ton of actual insights into it, from why this approach to running an agency works, how we built multiple channels for acquiring clients, and the support system that made all of this possible. So without further ado, here's Kurt. Kurt, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So for the listeners who aren't quite familiar with you, can you share a quick 60-second backstory? Who is Kurt Elster? Sure. So in uh, 2009, I, I quit my job, and I said, I'm going to build an e-commerce SaaS. And it turns out I, I didn't know what I didn't know, which was good because you know if I knew, I wouldn't have quit my job. Um, but a year later, I hadn't built the SaaS. It was impossible. But in the meantime, we had people who were uh, knocking on our door and saying, hey, can you help us build a help with our local small business website? Not in those terms, but that's what they were. And after a year, I said, yeah, I want to keep the lights on, so what do you need? And we discovered we were actually we were good at that. And finally, you know, after doing that for six months, I said, wait, why are we banging our head against the wall with this SaaS thing? Let's just service these people. And I was charging like 2500 bucks for a WordPress website, like custom theme, and thought that was some extraordinary sum for building a website because it felt easy. And I learned over and over, if something feels easy to you but people are willing to give you money for it, that just means you're good at it. That's the thing you should do. Um, and over time, like we, you know, we, we climbed the ladder, skipped many rungs and ended up doing work with, um, creative agencies. We built WordPress websites for Verizon, the NFL and Hilton hotels. And at the same time, we're doing, um, e-commerce stuff and we like the e-commerce stuff a lot. So we kept taking on those projects. And within that, I found, Oh, I like Shopify. So then we so went the other way. So going all the way up the chain to these big, big brands, household names, and then niching back down to just e-commerce. And that's where we've been for the last two years, um, is focused purely on, on Shopify um, and loving it. I plan that's, that's where we're going to stay, keep playing in the, that area. What was the thought process like to go from working with those big brands to kind of niching down and focusing on the, the smaller sites? <laughs> uh, three words, effective hourly rate. You know, these big projects, we're on the bottom rung in that totem pole. You know, oftentimes problems were dropped in our lap and we didn't have a lot of control over scope creep and we didn't get to talk to the client directly. And basically you'd have like a $50,000 project, but your hourly rate was like 30 bucks an hour. It wasn't, it was stressful and hard. It wasn't great versus, you know, by working with smaller businesses, we were able to work one-on-one with the business owner. Um, you have a much more productive relationship and then our effective hourly rate in that space is over 200 an hour consistently. Did you ever think about like, well, could we cut out these middlemen? Could we just work directly with those big clients? Yeah, I'm sure I could have figured it out. Um, but no, we went with, we've always gone with, you know, what's available to us, what our resources are. And then essentially the, the 80-20 rule, Pareto's principle, 
I mean, we just looked at, you know, what part of our business is successful. Okay, so how do we strip away the rest and how do we focus and grow that? That makes perfect sense. It's clear that when you look at all of the projects you were doing, those e-commerce sites, even though they might be smaller end clients, the hourly is better. And that's what you have to maximize. I'm a former professional poker player and there's a lot of people obsessed about their win rate when what really matters is your hourly. If you can play more tables than another person, it doesn't matter if your win rate's half if you're earning four times as much. So it's the same similar concept as worry about the dollars, not necessarily kind of the glamour or the other things that don't, the total price tag. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly the case. And that's what we had was, you know, and it's cool because, yeah, I've got these big brand names I could stick in my portfolio and I can name check those. But, you know, ultimately those projects were actually, were very stressful and difficult. And that's the other thing, you know, Part of it's the money. It's also, you know, are you happy doing what you're doing? And we were always happier doing the e-commerce stuff. You niched down, but that wasn't all you changed. In the beginning, you were doing more sort of generalized website design, but you've ventured into more what I would call and what you call and everyone else calls productized consulting. Can you talk about that transition as well? Sure. So uh, essentially, I hated writing proposals. You know, writing proposals is a big pain. Um, so one day, we instead of writing the proposal, I just published a single page website called websiterescues.com. You know, and there's a, a transition period going, you know, to, to just Shopify. So what we did was make a productized consulting service with its own landing page, separate of our agency website. So that way I wouldn't cannibalize our, our traditional agency work in case the Shopify thing didn't work out. And of course it did. Um, but you know, you want to reduce, minimize your risk of course, as a business owner. But so uh, productized consulting is really just a, a fancy name for saying fixed price, fixed scope. Um, so what you do is you lay it out all on the table in your sales letter to the client. You say, hey, here's what you're going to get, here's the outcome, and here's exactly what it's going to cost. And then that way there's no ambiguity. So effectively, I no longer have to write a proposal. No one has to go through this awkward conversation where we try and guess each other's budget you know, and, and fight through that mess. Instead, you know, by the time someone contacts me, they already know, they've already read the proposal. So it's really, you know, if they're talking to me, if Chances are it's just a gut check to see if we're a good fit, and then we're going to decide to work with each other. Yeah, because one of the other guests I've had on the podcast, Noel Fleming, is a big proponent of, he's a student of Alan Weiss, value pricing and all of that. And in that sort of mindset, it's the opposite. Don't focus on deliverables. Don't put the price up front. No, have those conversations. On we're still, you focus on an outcome still. True. Like, okay, that is you, true. So, you know, in the sales letter, you're going to follow pain, dream, fix. So we say, what's, you describe to the person, here's the pain you're, you've got with your site. Is you have a website, it's not converting as well as it used to. Okay. So the dream is, well, what if without, you know, starting over, without redesigning your site, you could improve um, your conversion rate? And then the fix is, you know, website rescues, essentially we do an audit, a usability audit of the site, um, and we fix, say, 30 things about it, all tiny things. But when you add them all together, it results in a significantly improved user experience and that results in a improved conversion rate. So here we're not selling a deliverable, we're selling an outcome. And that's still productized consulting. Right. No, and that's very true because you're right. The distinction is you're not necessarily focusing on we're going to make changes to this button and to this and to the copy here and there. You're talking about the whole product, how it all comes together and the benefit that they're going to get. And it's still but, it's a value-based fee and it's not tied to time. So if I just said, hey, I've got 35-minute fixes for your website – well, then it's easy to work that out to the time and then multiply the hourly rate and charge that. Whereas with this, I'm selling, I'm, since I'm selling the outcome, the amount of time it takes me doesn't matter. So I can just put whatever price I want on it because I've said, you know, I'm demonstrating I have the experience to do this. 
I've talked to Kai a lot about this and putting the pricing up front, you're, you know, you're leaving some money on the table, but is that a fair trade off for you just to simplify the sales process? Or what is your thought process behind being so transparent about this is what it costs? Oh, I love it. I would never go back. Once I, pu- I was scared for that reason to publish the prices, I would never go back because once we publish the prices, it radically simplified the sales process. So the, when I talk to people, anyone I talk to by definition is qualified because they already know what the price is. Um, it's very egalitarian. No one feels like they're getting ripped off and there's no more negotiating because everyone knows the price is the price is the price. Um, so it's essentially like if I go, I don't know if you have CarMax in your area, but if I go to a CarMax lot, I know I'm paying more for the car and I don't care because I've removed the hassle of it. With productized consulting, yeah, they might be pay, they may be able to find someone who could do the same work for less, but it isn't worth the hassle. And on your side too, it's, you could, by going through the song and the dance of the proposal, of all the discovery and all of that, you could get a few thousand extra out of some of your clients, but it's easier for you too. Yeah. And there's going to be with the proposal process, I mean, what percentage of those are going to go nowhere where you make nothing mm-hmm. from it um, versus this setup? I I rarely, you know, most people, by the time we get on the phone, if we don't work together, it's because I just didn't feel good about it. Mm-hmm. And how has this changed how your agency operates from when you first started out to like, what do things look like now? What are your day to days like? Well, I think the, you know, ultimately for in, internally, the outcome is that we've become, um, you become a better expert. So, I get far less of like the random oddball requests and I still get those and I still sometimes fulfill them. Um, but we get a lot less of those because to anyone looking at the site, it is now abundantly clear what you offer and what you do. And when you keep doing, you know, playing in that same space over and over, everyone says, Oh, it's going to, I'm going to get bored. No, you're not going to get bored. You're just going to get really good at what you do. And when you do that, um, you quickly discover like there's more. Uh, more and more, you know, it's like an onion. You're peeling layers away from it that you didn't know were there. Yeah, one of the best examples about like the counterexamples of the boredom of taking a strong positioning with a niche is that like if you look at any of the the TED talks or anything like that, those are people who don't they don't do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. They focus on usually one very small thing, and go super deep with it. And you're right, you get so good when your focus is narrow like that, and that's how you're able to command those higher prices. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I, I don't think this is by any, in any ways limited to, to freelancing or to any profession. I mean, you see this happen everywhere. And if you go to a doctor who, who's going to charge you more, a, uh, a cardiac surgeon or a general practitioner? Well, right. It's obvious. Anywhere you see generalization versus specialization, who's going to choose to hire a generalist over a specialist unless you're actively, um, you're actively looking to reduce price because you know the generalist isn't as good. Right. And if I need heart surgery, I'm not going to go to the generalist. I'm going to go to the cardiac surgeon. And for a lot of business owners who are coming to you, this isn't that different of a thing. This is their their lifeblood. This is almost their baby to them. Exactly. And so, do you, I mean, do you really want to work with the people who don't value it, who don't value their business or your time? Once you deliver basically what is an in-depth audit of their site – do you have as part of the deliverable, the part of the pitch, do you say, and then we can do this for you for X price or is it just, does it end at that? Oh no, it's uh, identifying the issues and then implementing them is, uh, okay. is one flat fee. So I don't think, you know, I want to deliver value to people. If I say, here's a list of stuff, here's a list of homework, go do it for, you know, unless they can do it themselves, 
it's not going to be valuable to them. Um, so I try to you know, focus it around that, that outcome, that finished result. And for them, the finished result is more sales. Do you have a retainer service? Is there something that, or is it usually one-off engagements? Is it a project-based thing? Or how do most clients work with you after the website rescue? Uh, I offer both. We have retainers. Um, and I'm working on revising the retainer setup now. Um, but no, we've got, essentially I have other complementary services. So I've got you know fixed price, fixed scope offerings for whatever place you are in your, your life cycle as a Shopify store owner. So if you're just setting up, if you haven't even started a store yet, you don't want to deal with it. Um, you're moving on to the platform, replatforming. They've got that as, you know, I'll do a complete store setup for you, and that's a flat fee versus something more. And then I, you know, in the middle is, all right, well, we've got our store and we need traffic. Okay, well, I've got, you know, two offerings, uh, marketing offerings that, that will work for that. And then, you know, let's say you've grown your business and you say, all right, well, I really need, uh, you know, a custom theme and entirely custom branding. Well, that's expensive, you know, a custom theme done right. It's going to cost money. So that's, I think, the only time I do really uh, like a true custom engagement is, well, let's talk about what special features they're going to be. But even then, like because I've done it so much, I know the the price range. Yeah, and I, I know you've worked with a lot of other agencies, a lot of freelancers and implementing this in their own business. And what are the sort of the common holdups that you find that other freelancers or agency owners have when trying to move towards a kind of niche productized offering? Uh, number one, so you say, hey, you got to pick a niche. And they freeze up because most people see having a niche as, well, it's two sentences and that's easy to write. But they view it as this, I'm writing two sentences that are going to describe exactly what I do for the rest of my life forever for in 10 seconds and I could do nothing else ever. And it's such, you know, it's a childish way to look at it. Because you, you'll end up revising that, that positioning statement 30, 40 times. Right, it's not scripture. And of course you're, yeah, I mean, like, just change it. You don't like it, change it. Or have multiple sales pages, who cares? Um, and I've easily rewritten mine 30 times. So that's number one. I mean, most people just never get past positioning because they can't, they can't niche down. And then once you've got the positioning, well, okay, you've got to validate it. Well, how do you validate it? You've got to go talk to people. That like that alone stops most people. They're scared to talk to people, which I get. But at the same time, if you don't talk to people, you probably shouldn't own a business. When you first offered website rescues, the price was a lot lower. But I'm also guessing the way you delivered it and the way you actually executed on on the back end was different. Like, what was that learning process like? Oh, so you know, as you do it, um, you know, as you run into issues with people with the project, uh, you revise it. So I've changed the the terms of the engagement, um, the price has gone up. This is one that's always funny is people are like, oh, you know, are you, are you going to add more people so you could sell more? No, I'll just keep raising the price. Like, <laughs> it's purely a supply and demand issue. The supply is our time. Um, you know, and if we, anytime we get to a place where it's like, oh, geez, we've got too many projects, well, raise the prices on that particular thing then. And eventually it, it works itself out where you've got, um, where, you know, everything's appropriately priced. Right. That's one of the things where it's like if you you see it, especially with freelancers, where they've delivered some good work and they just have so many referrals, word of mouth referrals coming in and they have a waiting list or, or whatever. And they, they don't think they can handle it. It's like, man, like just raise your rates. That's that solves itself. And you'll find theoretically an equilibrium where you'll have just enough work at the right rates. Yeah, it's just it's supply and demand. I mean, in the Shopify space, how many Shopify stores are there? A quarter million. And how many Shopify experts are there? A hundred, two hundred. I mean, there's always going to be 
there's going to be plenty of people who say like that's they're not the right fit for me or they're too expensive and that's totally fine you know at the same time i don't i no longer view any of my my shopify expert colleagues as competitors um i know many of them they're all good people we make we refer stuff to each other and it's easy when you have that specialization because people know exactly what you do you come top of mind for whatever your specialty is. So you get, you're essentially enabling those referrals. You're enabling that network by specializing. And when you first started working with Shopify stores and kind of attached yourself to that, how conscious was that decision to kind of almost ride the wave of Shopify or did it just sort of happen? Initially, it just sort of happened. They, we had uh, a local store, a local store said, well, we need to update our e-commerce site. And at the time, we would we worked with all kinds of platforms because we didn't know any better. And for this particular, and I would research them and make good recommendations. And for this particular client, we said, "Well, I think let's try this thing called Shopify. It's really new and it seems cool, and I think it's right it's right for you." So we built a completely custom theme for it, having never done that before for Shopify, um, and didn't see the issue with that. And it worked fine. It worked well. It's the, they're still using an updated version of that theme today. Um, and Shopify then, you know, through serendipity, um, started producing, started this thing, this referral program called the Shopify Experts Program. And the guy who started to reach out to me said, hey, I saw you built a custom theme. Uh, it looks really good. Would you like to join this pilot program? So, okay. So we were getting, um, you know, a few leads here and there. Uh, and I would occasionally pick them up and do them. And then I thought, you know what? I read a book about how to write a sales letter. So I wrote wrote a better sales letter for my Shopify page, and then suddenly I was getting a lot of referrals. So, oh, okay. Um, and that's when we made the decision to, to niche down on Shopify. Is that where most of your leads today are coming from? Is it from directly from the partnership? Is it from the other things you're doing? Or is it is a combination? Or how does... So initially it was coming directly from there. Um, and that's a, that's, it's good, because I'm like, all right, I got these leads. But I've now created a single point of failure in my business. So it's like if... I, that experts program changes, you know, and they do, they update it. Um, and it has like a ranking algorithm, which how it decides who comes up first. And, and they're always updating that. So I didn't want to be married to that. So I started producing my own content um, and building my own email list. And once I did that, now that I had enough, I have multiple leads. So I saw things going from like, all my leads came directly from Shopify, a few through my website. And then it started shifting, shifting, shifting till now I get, um, it's probably like 60-40 with the majority coming through my own website. Okay. And I think that's something that a lot of businesses can relate to, especially with depending on one channel too much. It, whether it's SEO, referrals, whatever, especially when it's outside of your control, you're right that when things change, if you're not ready for it, you're screwed. And so how did you first get started with building your list, building an audience and, and all of that? So I, uh, I signed, first was to, to do it. So I signed up. I think I was running it on MailChimp, and that was silly. Um, and I signed up with Drip, and having the like the the bug, the pop up, and then they added an exit intent pop up that worked really well. Um, so I switched to that, and with it I had a lead magnet. And it was just a five day email course, um, and then later I added switched it to uh, one a single PDF cheat sheet you can get. And then if you stay signed up, you get that same five-day email course that's been revised since then. And then after that, I say, hey, you know what? Like, if this wasn't valuable, unsubscribe. You never hear from me again. And if you did think it was valuable, stay subscribed, and I'll email you every so often. And now email, um, they'll get an email like twice a week from me. Um, and most of it is from just, it's all, all queued up as a drip campaign. 
And is it primarily what is driving the traffic to the page to get people to opt in in the first place? So I have, um, we have a lot of blog articles up there. Um, so people, you know, searching for stuff and landing on it, they'll find it. Um, we've created an info product called e-commerce bootcamp. Um, and people, uh, will often refer to that and they'll find us through that. So that's kind of, and it's also a nice authority piece to have. And even if you write a book and never sell it, as long as it's in your space and on your topic, it's a great way to build authority. Of course, the other one is I host a podcast, the unofficial Shopify podcast, and that, uh, you know, people, people trade that and share that. And that's been hugely powerful. Before we get too far along, I'm going to stop Kurt right there so we can have a quick word from our sponsor. But in just 30 seconds, Kurt will be back to share the new channel that he uses to drive the bulk of his leads. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners. And while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork, but without all the crazy fees. Where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, let's get back to Kurt. When did the podcast come about? Uh, geez, about a year and a half ago we did it. And I didn't even put like, we, I really kind of half-assed it. I didn't put a lot of effort into it at first. But I thought, you know, let's try it. And then I looked back at it. I saw like every week it, it was growing subscribers. So I said, geez, what will happen if I put effort into this? And then now it, you know, like it, it continues to month over grow month over month. Um, does pretty well. It gets uh, last I looked at it's like twenty five hundred listeners in a week. It's good. Podcasting, it's like it's a very personal medium. They got to listen to you talk for twenty minutes. Right. It's something where, especially with consulting, especially with something that is a personalized effort like that, that's a way for them to see what you're like, your thought process, how you are just as a person, and so. Any consultant I've talked to who has a podcast, they've said is that once people come to them, if they come through the podcast, it's not even a question of the sale. It, it, the sale's already done. It's just when can we start is almost what comes out of their mouths. Yeah, it's very people will I'll get on the phone with someone and then they'll, you know, not everyone will say, listen to your podcast. Um, and then partway through the call, they go, you know, I feel like I know you. And it's because they listen to the podcast. It's a personal medium. I mean, you're listening to two people have a conversation for 20 minutes. It's like eavesdropping on them. Right. And I, I know you've also experimented a lot with, with automating your content and email marketing and made your systems a bit more sophisticated. Can you just give some insights into what that means and how it's affected your business? Sure. So, you know, the issue, um, there's this feaster, you know, people go through the feaster famine cycle where it's like, oh, I got too much work and then they have no work and then they have too much work and they have no work. And what's going on is, well, they get busy, so they stop marketing themselves and then things dry up and then they hustle, hustle, hustle and now they've work again. So, you know, I was going through that same feast or famine cycle. So I saw automation as the way out. If I could automate more and more of the marketing, then you know, it's less for me to do and I couldn't, you know, procrastinate on it when we got busy. 
And that's the the joy and power of automation. Um, and it's nothing complicated. You know, it's like a drip email campaign. But even with, you know, creating the podcast, I'll post the podcast and then I have a, a workflow set up so it'll, you know, the podcasts, they're scheduled out in Simplecast and they have an RSS feed. So I feed the RSS feed to drip um, and then it'll import the new posts, automatically create an email based on a template and send it off for me. Well, it's like, you know, when you include, you know, we've got uh, 67 published episodes, you know, and that's, that adds up to a lot of time putting that stuff together. So that's why I like, you know, if a, an automation task will save me five minutes of work and it's repetitive, like that adds up very quickly. The other thing is it's not even just it adds up to the time saved, but it just makes sure it gets done. Because what you were saying before is that when you started, you were half-assing things, but most people don't start. They don't take that first step of putting just something out there. And then even the ones that do, a huge percent of those don't keep doing it. Yeah, and that's so why the, the mistake I see people make is they go, "Oh, well, I, you know, I don't need to do I don't need to do any automation. I I don't, you know, I'm not busy enough for that." No, no, do it now before you're busy because when you're busy, you're not going to want to mess with it. Right, you're not going to have the time to mess with it. It's just going to be another thing that you have to handle. And it's something that's so important especially with building an audience, especially with building in sort of inbound growth channels that it doesn't happen overnight. And it does need to be consistent. And so if you can just build the system to support it, you're going to thank yourself down the road when you, you're a bit busier, a bit so busy you can't actually do it yourself again. Yeah, do, do it now for the sake of your future self. Yeah, and you've also started doing a bit more speaking, right? Yeah, when those gig um, speaking gigs pop up, I'll take them. And partly, you know, you gain... Um, you know, that you meet people and it, it's a nice way to, to build authority. And public speaking was a fear of mine. So it's really, it's nice to, to get over that. Um, but you also get to use it as like an authority piece. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going speaking at this event. You know, that adds a lot of credibility. And then I even include like Curtis spoken at, you know, in the sidebar of our, our sales page. Speaking at events, I feel like is the fastest way to have someone be like, oh, this guy definitely knows what he's talking about. And then when you actually get up there and do know what you're talking about, it just cements that position even further. Oh, absolutely. Do you think you're going to keep pursuing that or is it more just as it comes up, you'll keep doing it? Or where do you see that going? Uh, I, you know, I've never gotten a project like directly immediately from a speaking gig. Um, but so I don't, I don't see myself as pursuing them. I know some people do well as paid with paid speaking gigs. I've yet to be paid for a speaking gig. Um, so I, I pursue it passively. You know, if they show up and someone says, hey, we'll do this gig, and either we'll pay your expenses for traveling or it's local so you can just show up, then, yeah, those I always say yes to. With that out of the way, what is your plan going forward? Is it to keep you guys the size you're at now and keep increasing your price? Is it to grow bigger? Or what, do you, what does the future look like for either cycle? I think the goal is to, to keep niching down, is to find, you know, within Shopify, and within those clients, it's like, all right, I found services. I found a platform I like. I found services I like. I found a, I've built a sales funnel that works. I think the next step is to start picking, um, is, as Shopify grows and that pool grows, is to niche down further. So say, like, you know, focus on, you know, specific verticals or specific problems um, within that, that marketplace. In your mind, is that sort of like taking the Pareto principle to the next level of saying, like, all right, we've niched down, but of this... It's like what, a 20% fractal. Of my, yeah, yeah, it's a fractal. You're, there will never be an end to it. You just keep, once you get comfortable with it, 
then you know it's time to to niche down further. Do you have any ideas of what that next level niche might be? So I know there are like a few verticals where I just won't work with them um, because it's difficult, you know, like commodity stuff like jewelry or T-shirts I won't do. Um, So that's a little, that's getting there. Um, But I think focusing on where people are in their life cycle with the brand is probably the place to be. You know, like the person starting out on Shopify versus replatforming versus growing in a validated business, those are all totally different clients in different places. And once you're like, you're really familiar with it, you start to feel like they have different pains. They have different uh, problems and, and different goals. So I think, um, you know, tailoring things to people in a specific uh, like, like point in their life cycle is, is probably the next point. What point in the life cycle do you think you guys add the most value to them? Uh, probably after they've, like, after they've validated the idea, um, you know, they're getting sales, but they're not huge. You know, it's still, uh, we'll say, it's like low six-figure business. Or, mm-hmm. And they're saying, okay, well, how do we get seven figures? Well, like in there, helping those businesses grow is, is where we've seen the, the best results. Right. Is it because at the lower end, they're still not proven? You don't necessarily need to add fuel to the fire. You need to make sure that they have something that works. And then at the higher, it's kind of more just on the margins where the improvements aren't necessarily going to have as dramatic an impact. Yeah. The big, the hardest people to work with are the ones who they're like, I've got a great idea to help me put on a Shopify store. And then you, you know, you help them put it up and there's crickets. And then rather than say like, well, maybe I didn't build an audience or I didn't like, I didn't build an audience. I didn't validate my idea. They just blame the the vendor. Say like, well, my idea is great. It couldn't be bad. So you screwed this up. So you want to be like, at the very least, I want someone who has validated the idea. And if they haven't, are you turning them away? It depends on the, more often than not, I'm turning them away. It depends on the project. If it's something that like I'm excited about, then I, I will, I'll take it. But with the caveat, I explained to them like, hey, the hardest part is going to be getting that audience and validating it. And what have you done to validate it? A couple of questions I like to ask everybody is what is something that you've spent too much time on right now? <laughs> oh, that's easy. I just bought a house. Um, so I spend way too much time on Amazon. <laughs> just a pile of boxes, Amazon prime boxes piling up in the front room. I use this like delivery status app and then I, I scroll through. So, it, and I have a Gmail filter set up. So it'll automatically when it sees a shipment come through, um, and I forgot what the word, like the filter keywords are. It forwards them to this delivery status widget, so I never even see the email. I just it pops up in my tracking app, and like there are so many packages in there, I literally had to scroll. <laughs> That's when you have a problem. That's when I knew I had a problem. I deleted the Amazon app off my phone. <laughs> now you have to actually go to stores and. Ugh. Well, don't get crazy. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Slow. Slow it down. What is something you think you don't spend enough time on in the business? Probably content uh, creation. Like I think I could be creating uh, long form posts, higher level stuff um, than what I'm doing now. I mean, I think what I'm doing now is working. I just think you know I could create like really valuable, you know, education bombs of pieces. What would have to change that you'd be able to do that? Is it just a means of dedicating the time to it, or is there not enough time to dedicate to it? No, I'm I'm too comfortable, I think, is the issue. I mean, I that's honest. I like that. And I think that's where so many agency owners get, especially even if they haven't, they're not at the level of success you're at, is that 
things work roughly. So why would I want to go from my WordPress design and development shop to a niche? Yeah, you're but, like, well, I'm not starving, yeah. so what's the problem? And you got right. it's you want to feel the shoe. Either you you need to feel the shoe pinch a little bit, or so what I'll do is like I'll I'll try and set my sights on a purchase. So like when we were saving up to to buy a house, that it was very, you know, then I had tons of drive and and motivation. Now I got to come up with something new. So I think right now I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I want to buy a Nissan GTR and we get one brand new. And you know, the chance that I probably will never buy that car, but just like having that, um, having You've that the goal. goal makes it easier to, um, to find that, that like additional, that extra drive, that extra motivation. Right. Because that's sort of the thing is that especially with a lean agency that does charge on value, your margins are going to be pretty good. And, for the They're most fantastic. part, like it generates a lot of cash. Yeah. And so, and there's and only. That's what's nice. Yeah. We do info products and consulting. Well, that's like 98% profit. Right. Is there anything you're working on right now that you're hoping to accomplish within the next few months? I really want to work on um, getting uh, better retainer agreements and selling more retainer agreements. I think that's having that predictable recurring revenue in the business is hugely powerful. Um, and the issue I had in the past was. That was the last part of my business that was still tied to time. Um, so I think I'm going to, and I, I've already got it roughed out in a Google Doc. I just got to, and I haven't told, uh, I, haven't, I haven't told Paul about this, my business partner. Wait, I think what? I got to give it to him, make him do it. Um, but what anyways, I just heard <laughs> me, uh-oh. Uh, go back to work. Try not over. to get you in trouble. <laughs> um, now I got to switch, um, and actually, I got this from a coaching student. I'm like, you're a genius. He set up his retainer agreements as there's three levels and the of retainer agreement, and the levels are based on the number of action items you want done a month. So rather than tie it to like number of hours, he's tied it to um, just pure action item. And that way, it's not like it isn't something squishy, like oh, I'll give you strategy or I'll give you advice, and it isn't you know tied to and it isn't hours or time. It's right in the middle where it's a thing you can quantify um, easily, but it's not. It's abstract enough that yeah, they're not trying to figure perfect. out the hourly rate. Yeah. And then one thing to sort of wrap things up a little bit is what sort of parting advice would you give for listeners who want to start changing the direction of their agency to niche down, to get those better margins? Like how does someone who is a generalist get started with this? Look at what you're doing now and ask yourself, like, which projects seemed easy? Which projects were profitable? Which projects were fun? The ones that weren't stressful, that felt good, that made, that felt like easy money. Like, look at those and then go where the money is. I mean, it's not, it isn't easy because it was easy. It's easy because you're good at it and it's a good fit. And work at, you know, how can you rebuild your business around those things? Sell more of that. Like, who figure, essentially those will become your best buyers. Right, just figure out who who's the most profitable client, who do you like working with, what do you do the best work, and do more of it. Yeah, and it's not like that sounds ridiculously simple, but you know, it's from the outside looking in, it is that simple. It's when you're in the business that it becomes less obvious. So try and get. Uh, so probably step one is you know get get someone you can talk to, be it a mastermind group, a coach, a friend, somebody who you could talk to about your business, and then. Uh, you know, bounce these ideas off them. Yeah, no, because that's it's easy for for me to say it 
as an outsider. And it's easy for you to say once you've already gone through it, but at the time, it's scary. Yeah. Who did you kind of backwards? It's like, oh, duh. But at the time, (laughs) I remember how, you know, hard and scary those things were. Who did you have to bounce ideas off of at the time? Uh, I was in two mastermind groups. Um, so I, I think I joined, you know, back years ago. It was Brennan Dunn's Freelancers Guild, and that was uh, where I got my initial mastermind group. And then later I joined a mastermind group uh, with many of the those with many folks that are still in that that circle. Um, you know, like Philip Morgan and Kai Davis and Nick DeSabato, um, Jonathan Starr. I don't want to leave anyone out. All those people I love. <laughs> um, and it was centered around the commonality was productized consulting, and that was hugely beneficial. And so if listeners want, they like what they're hearing, they want to hear more of your thoughts on this, where should they go to hear more? Go to KurtElser.com. It's got a quick overview of what I do. Um, you could sign up for my newsletter. You could see what I'm doing, how I work. And that's also the only way you get my email address. I've actually stripped it entirely from my websites. Um, you got to sign up for my newsletter. And then just reply to the email. If you have questions, you know, whatever, hit me up, tell me what you're doing. Um, it's helpful. I've also written a book. I'll give you a discount code. You could put it in the show notes actually Perfect. we'll do it right now um called email templates for freelancers and that's literally the the same email templates that i have loaded up um in canned responses and use uh, quite successfully awesome let's do 50 percent off on email templates for freelancers that's normally 47 dollars. you can get it today for 23.50 all right so we're gonna make a coupon code right now for 50 percent off called advantage and it's 50% off. Okay, and I'm going to send that link to you right now so that you have it and can share it with your audience. Yeah, no, so Kurt, thank you so much for all that, for the discounts, for all the advice. We jammed a ton of actionable tips into that 30 minutes, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. My pleasure. All right, I'll talk to you later. Like I said in the beginning, this was a shorter episode, but it was packed full of great advice. What it boils down to, in my opinion, is this. There are likely certain projects you work on with certain clients that make you significantly more money with significantly less stress than all of the others. And by focusing on getting more of those projects and getting rid of the rest, your agency's growth and profitability is going to skyrocket. And not only that, but with a narrow focus, you're going to become a real expert in your chosen niche, which will help you increase your rates. And I know, as an outsider, it's pretty easy for me to talk about the benefits of niching down, but I also know that as an agency owner, it can be downright scary. I'm basically telling you to ignore the vast majority of the market you're currently trying to serve. So I won't pretend it's easy, but the impact it can have on your business is enormous. Just ask Kurt or Philip Morgan or Kai Davis or Travis Northcutt or countless other agency owners out there. So I'm telling you, it's worth your time to at least ask yourself these tough questions. That's all I have for you guys this week. Next week, I'll be back with Noah Fleming, who talks about value-based fees. If you're still charging by the hour, this is the episode for you. I'll talk to you then. See ya.